Father, I want to thank you for the love that you have for all your people, for the world that you sent Jesus. Thank you for grace and mercy and how new it is every morning. I pray that today's word would be an encouragement to your church. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. 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 Last week, we kind of were unpacking this idea of discipleship, and it's, it's, it's kind of a why we're disciples series and not how to become a disciple. And so we looked at Mark last week, the Gospel of Mark, kind of a 30,000-foot preview, overview of, of what Mark kind of paints. And he paints this beautiful picture of Jesus as not only Messiah, but also as a servant, as a servant king. And so we kind of pressed into that idea of, of how or why we become disciples of a servant king. And maybe what that looks like a little bit for us, his church, that we would live a life of sacrifice, that we would put aside uh, our laziness and our complacency and our selfishness and become part of the answer, part of the Jesus answer to the world. We also kind of pressed into this idea that, that we, we, we long to be a community where it's okay not to be okay. That we would invite people, or even more, that, that people would feel safe coming here into this building, into the context of this community, and, and just have this sense that it's a, a safe place to not be okay. It's a safe place to, to cry and to confess and to pray and, and to be prayed for, not in some judgmental, look at what you've done kind of way, but to come alongside them and say that Jesus is the way. We looked at the possibility of us being disciples who would stand up for Christ in a culture that disregards Jesus. But not in a way where we're holding our picket signs and we're chanting our slogans, but in a way that, that invites people, come and see. Come and see this servant king who gave his life for you. Come and see. Jesus invited people to follow him. He didn't embarrass them. He didn't, he didn't thump them. He invited. And then we kind of ended our time together with, with an idea that we would enter into the brokenness of the world, as Henry Nouwen said, as, as wounded healers. And what would that look like? So as we kind of think about these things, these ideas of the church, there, there is a danger, not, not always, but there is a danger because I do believe that that's important for the church, to, to be that church, to be those people, to be that community. But, but we can fall prey, not always, but we can fall prey to, to a mindset that the church and or we Christians, we, we're the answer. We're the answer to what the world needs. We're the answer to the brokenness that's in the world. And if we have this mindset, and again, it's not always, but if we come into this mindset, we might actually think that we've arrived and that we are better than, and we, we can stand over people and in judgment and say, ha ha, that's why. 
I'm here to tell you this about that. In no way, shape, or form are we anybody's answer. Now, we know the answer. We are disciples of the answer. But the answer is Christ's and and him alone. We are completely unable to do anything with any kingdom consequence unless we have the power of God's grace and mercy and we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are nothing in the kingdom sense without him and his presence in our lives. And I don't care if you've been walking with Jesus for a month, a year, 50 years. We are all in some way, shape, or form. We are all just stumbling towards faith. Stumbling towards this Jesus thing. Sometimes, personally for me, it it feels like the best I got is a stumble. I asked you all to read 2 Kings chapter 5. I hope you did. It was a short chapter. It probably took you about five minutes. It wasn't the whole gospel this time. And in that short chapter, there's all of these people involved in this story that unfolds. And one of them is this guy by the name of Naaman. And now Naaman, he's a prominent military leader. And he he's, he's lives in, in Syria. And, he, and he's, a, he's a military leader of this other king. And he's suffering from leprosy. And he hears through the grapevine that there is this prophet that may be able to heal him. And so he gets a letter from his king to the king of Israel. Hey, can you hook up my boy uh, Naaman here? And so he travels to see this prophet. Now, he's a high-ranking official. And so I'm thinking he's feeling that, you know, there should be a little pop and circumstance here, that he's going to get there. There's going to be this cool, like, uh, ceremony, and, and, you know, he's going to pull out all the stops. So he pulls up to the house of, of um, the prophet Elisha, And Elisha sends him a message by a messenger. Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. He sends a message and tells him, you just go dunk in the Jordan River a couple times and it'll be good. You'll be cured. Well, Naaman's not too hip on all that. He's he's looking for some, you know, waving the hand over the boo-boo. And and, I mean, he's looking for a little more than just go dunk in a river. He's like, aren't the rivers of Damascus much better than the Jordan? He's not going to do it. Well... His servants, they're like, really, dude, you you come all this way. You might as well just go try it anyway. I mean, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. And so he heads to the river and he dunks in seven times. And guess what? He's cured. Go figure. But see, for me, that's not really where the, I mean, that's all well and good. A good curing is always, is always makes for good story. But, but that's not, for, for me, where the story really begins is after he's cured. Because what we see in this story, chapter 5 of 2 Kings, are two men. Two men that are stumbling. One is stumbling toward faith and toward God. And the other one is stumbling away from God. And it all comes down to the posture of their heart. Where their heart is. The first guy is is Naaman. He has this life-changing experience, man. It's pretty big. He has leprosy. 
In the Bible, in the Old Testament, it would be considered a defiling skin disease and you would be put out of the community and you'd have to stay out in the community unless the Lord has healed you. And he has, this guy has a encounter with something that's sacred and holy, completely outside of his normal. He is entering into a new normal, a new reality, a God reality. And within this, this experience that he has, it begins to have this internal struggle within him. Something is beginning to happen. Something is beginning to change. Whenever we experience God in some way, shape, or form, we begin to change. We're not completely 100% changed right off the bat. I mean, that would be nice if all of a sudden I put my faith in Jesus and I became a spitting image mirror version of Jesus. That would be awesome. Unfortunately, it doesn't quite work that way. So we change little by little. And, and sometimes the old patterns of our life kind of mix in or strewn about these new things. Sometimes we have to deal with the old self as we live into this, to this new reality that God is presenting to us, that God is inviting us into. It's just the way life kind of plays itself out. And so, here's Naaman, cured by God. The Lord has stepped into his life. Up until this point, he worshipped this God called, called uh, Rimon, or Rimon. He's a Sarian God, and, and uh, this is the God that he worshipped with his king. But what he's learned is this God isn't much of a God, can't even heal a little leprosy. But now the God of Elisha, now this God stepped up. This God is a player. He went and he was healed of this disease. This, this is the God. This is a no doubt physical healing. And Naaman is pretty impressed. And this is what he'll say. Christian. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. 750 pounds of silver he brought. 75 pounds of gold and 10 set, I think 10 sets of clothes. Maybe even from Hollister. We're not sure. The text is a little vague on that. Please accept a gift from your servant. Naaman has had this epiphany. But he's stumbling toward faith. He's trying to figure it out. Faith, our journey of faith is never a straight line. It's never all neat and clean and tidy. See, see, he knows that he's not going to live in Israel with, with the Jewish nation. He has to go back to his own people, his own life, his own family, his own job. To the things that, that he left to come get healed, he has to go back and, and, and he's a military leader. He's got men that are going to look up to him that he has to direct. But the, but the God that healed him is the God of Israel. See, for him, in his pagan tradition, gods were very territorial. You had certain gods in this land, certain gods in this land, certain gods in this land. And the gods never crossed over the borders. It was this god, it was that god, it was, it was this god. And so what's a good pagan to do in this situation? Well, he thinks to himself, well, you know what? Now, now, now uh, Elisha doesn't take the gifts. He's like, no, nah, I'm good. I don't need that stuff. And so what Naaman says, I got to go back. What am I going to do? Let me fill up two, as much soil as two mules can carry, and I'll take that with me. 
because he knows gods are territorial and he wants to worship this God who has cured him on his own soil, on his own land. And it sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? But you see, his heart is a heart of reverence. He is worshiping. His desire is to worship the Lord God, but he's doing it in the, in the only way he really knows how. This is, this is what his tradition would tell him to do. He is stumbling toward faith. Eventually, he'll understand God in the bigger picture, but right now, he just sees it as a territorial God. And he will come to a place of understanding that God is the God, this, this God is the creator of all of the universe, of all things, heaven and earth. And he will come to an understanding that it doesn't matter what soil you worship him on. God is not interested in location or country or ethnicity. God is interested in the heart of a man and a woman. But he doesn't know that right now. And so he stumbles toward faith. Now, I I love this cute, childlike thing he's got going on. I'm going to take some sand, and I'm going to bring it over here, and I'm going to worship God on his own, his own soil. But, but there's, there's another part of the story that is much more intriguing for me. And that this is, this is what he says as he's about to leave. May the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. Now this is Naaman talking to Elisha. When my master enters the temple of Rimmon to bow down and he is leaning on my arm and I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. Naaman's story is our story. Our story is is his story. There's this tension within him right now. He knows this God who has cured him, the only true God in all the world. And now he has to go back to his own country, to his own work, to his own people, and he is going to have to compromise his belief, this new belief that has birthed in him by the evidence of a living God doing something in him. And it's causing him to feel uncomfortable. It's causing him to, to have this tension within him. I would say that an experience with God, the living God, always causes a little tension in our hearts. And it always causes us to look at, or it should cause us to look at, those places where, where we are stumbling. And, and I, we got to keep it real. We have to keep this faith journey real. So let's keep it real and not try to get all Christianese or evangelical about things. Because an experience with God causes us, and, and it doesn't matter, again, one year or 50 years, we begin to look at certain areas of our life from a very different perspective. And things begin to change. It might be one thing at a time, but, but God is doing something. And we look and go, huh, is that what God has for me? Is that what God has called me to? Within any faith journey, there will always be paradox. There will always be places where we are stumbling. There will always be places where we are compromising. Sanctification is a very slow and messy process. I mean, it's worth it, but it's slow and it's messy. And sometimes it's very, very painful. But it's well worth it. And maybe you're thinking, "Mm -mm, not me. 
I would not, the Lord healed me from some horrible disease and now he's going to just go and, he, and I wouldn't bow down to some idol. I wouldn't bow down to some false God. Well, that's a beautiful sentiment. And thank you for having it. But just because you don't enter into a pagan temple does not mean you're not bowing down to idols in your life. As painful as that may sound, just because you don't enter into a temple of some, some pagan god does not mean that we do not bow down to some other idol. No one comes out of the gate like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like, yeah, I'll be willing to be a human barbecue for the Lord. I'm in. We all start somewhere. And we got to be honest with where we're starting. And we all are somewhere on the journey. Everyone in this room is somewhere on their journey of faith. And you got to be honest with where you are. And part of that honesty, part of the truth is the recognition that we are going to compromise and we are going to stumble in our faith walk. That's, that's, just, that's just the truth. And so what's a person to do? Well, what does Naaman do? He recognizes it. And he says, forgive me. Forgive me. May the Lord forgive your servant. Many times in our journey, we will stumble toward faith. I mean, you're here this morning. You go to church. You read the Bible. You pray. And it doesn't matter how little or how much. It's because the Lord has awoken something in you and is churning something inside of you. And you're responding to it by doing those things that he calls us to do. You realize somehow in some way, shape, or form that there is no other God that can heal. There's no other God that can forgive and love the way the God of of this scripture can do. There's no other God that's going to look at you and say, yeah, you know what? You have messed things up huge. But I got you. I got you. I got your back. I'm going to give you a way to unmess those things. This is the God that brings life out of death and brokenness. There's no other God. Our culture may want you to believe that there's others. Our culture says there are plenty of other things that you can worship. Other idols that will bring you happiness and prosperity and peace and joy. And many people put their faith in them. Many Christians still, we corporately put our faith in other things but they never deliver they always come up short even if they just even if they just give us a little bit for a little while eventually we will see the truth there's only one true god that brings joy forgiveness peace prosperity and not prosperity in bigger cars more money bigger bank account happier house now an, an interior heart prosperity. There's only one God, and that God is the God who's the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when you have that encounter with him, with Christ, that's a game changer. Something begins to churn. Something's like, and you might fight it, you might try to run from it, but, but, but you can't help but to notice there's something in there. And, and there's this desire, this, this thing that, that births. Maybe it's the seed of discipleship. And it doesn't matter if you don't have a full understanding, half understanding, or even the, the, the understanding of a mustard seed. It doesn't matter if you have all of the, you might not even have any of the answers. In fact, you don't even know what questions to ask yet. 
But something is working. It's, it's the power of God through the Holy Spirit that's churning something. And it doesn't matter how many times you stumble, God churns and changes. And as we, as we enter into this, this awakening, this, this stumbling, we begin to live in the words of Paul in Romans. Next. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and pop- proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I see Naaman living this out before Paul has ever written it. His, his desire is to offer sacrifice to God. And so he takes this Jewish soil with him to make sure that he can offer sacrifice in, in the, just in the way that he knows how. But yet Paul writes that, that we're to carry Christ with us into the everyday, into the mundane, into our everyday, every moment parts of our lives. And that we would present ourselves as a living sacrifice. This is our life is the sacrifice to the Lord. And that is what worship is. And he began, Naaman begins to think differently. He, he says, oh my goodness, this is the one true God. He is no longer being conformed to the patterns of this world. Is he perfect? No. Does he have all the answers? No. Is his journey complete? Absolutely not. But he's on his way. He's taking steps toward God. His thinking is becoming different as he's allowing the transformation of the Lord to infiltrate his life. Paul says that's where we should be. That we would allow our thinking to be different and to change. That we would be transformed bit by bit, step by step, little by little. Present your lives as a living sacrifice. Carry Christ with us every day, in every way, into every experience. When you come to realize that within your life, Christian, I'm speaking to you, in your life, that there are things that you definitely are compromising about, and that there, there are things within your life that are, that are a paradox of what the scripture teaches, and that you're stumbling, be assured, God is working on you. And as painful as that is, And those times are, God is working on you. You know, there are people that actually believe within churches that once they come to know the Lord, they've arrived. Ta-da! And that there is no more of this this, uh, old patterns and thoughts and things of the old self kind of mixed in with, with the new. That's just a new version of an old way of thinking. And it's just not true. It's just not true. When we see, when we experience the loving embrace of this living God, every day we're going to come to the realization that we are bowing down to some idol in our life. And it's no good trying to make believe it doesn't happen or trying to ignore it or trying to rationalize it. We all stumble and fall. There's always darkness in our heart that needs the light of Christ to burn it away. And once he gets that piece, he's on to the next. And he's on to the next. And he's on to the next. Naaman did not ignore it. He didn't try to hide it. He didn't try to rationalize it. What did he do? He asked for forgiveness. Please forgive me. 
please forgive me. He is honest with who he is and where he is. And so when he comes to that place of being honest, what does Elisha do? Does he jump down his throat and call him a no good, compromising, pagan scumbag that, you know what, no healing for you one year and takes it away? No. No. He sees his heart and he, and he speaks three of the most precious life-giving words that the Lord can ever speak to his church. Go in peace. Go in peace. Those are, those are the words of the Lord to all those who are honest with themselves, who are honest with their life because they want more and more of God's grace and mercy upon them. Those are the words of God to those who stumble and fall and stumble and fall and stumble and fall over and again, but, but, but they feel the weight of that and they're asking for forgiveness and they want the Lord to fix that stumbling and that compromise. Those are the words, that, the Lord's words that say, go in peace. Do you really think that Jesus, when he was asked Teach us to pray. Do you really think that he would say, well, part of that, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Do you really think that he would have taught us that part of the prayer if he didn't know that our faith journey at best was going to look like a toddler trying to learn how to walk? Stumbling and falling and getting back up. Stumbling and falling and getting back up. And we, disciples, we have to recognize that that's the posture that we always need every single day of our lives. One of repentance and one of receiving forgiveness. To repent and receive forgiveness. To walk in that forgiveness every day. Not in some way of license where, you know, I don't care. I can do whatever I want. I can compromise where I want. It doesn't really matter. God's going to forgive me anyway. If that's your heart, then you're not, you're not sorry. There is no repentance there. But we, we recognize that forgiveness in a humble way of knowing I'm not perfect. And yet God loves me anyway. I'll never be perfect. And yet Jesus went to the cross knowing that anyway. I don't like my imperfection and I know that it's dark and we desperately want God to fix us. That's the heart of Naaman. That's the heart of a, a person stumbling towards faith. But there's another, uh, there's another guy in this story. He's the guy that's stumbling away from the Lord, stumbling away from faith. And, and it almost, if you read the story, it's almost kind of like a little bit of a side note. But he's not really a side note, for me anyway. And his name is Gehazi. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that right, but as that high priest episode we had a few weeks ago, I'm sticking to that one. Gehazi. And he's Elisha's, he's Elisha's right-hand man. Like, like he, he, is, he is in tight with the prophets. He has seen all of the things that God has done. He's experienced very sacred and holy things. If he was alive today, he'd probably, he would probably go to church. And he would serve on all kinds of cool committees and, and be head of a ministry. And he would, like, he would talk about cool stuff to do in the church and how we can reach people for the Lord. That would be, that would be the guy. But let's look at his part of the story. 
Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? He asked. Everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets have just come in, come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to set them, and then he tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in the house. He sent the men away, and they left. When he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, Where have you been, buddy? Your servant didn't go anywhere, he answered. But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? And in in the NIV, there's a little quote that say, Busted. Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves and vineyards or flocks and herds or male and female servants? It's an interesting part of the story here. This guy wants a little bit of payment. He wants a little bit. He wants some stuff. How dare Elisha make faith and forgiveness free? How dare he make it easy? Gehazi has compromised himself. He is stumbling. But what's the difference? Huh? Just a tad. But what's the is there is there a difference? Well, yeah, there is. The difference is where his heart is. He believes that Naaman should have paid. Got to put a little skin in the game, man. Toss me some indulgences. Forgiveness and healing should not be free. Go in peace. Please, how's this guy ever going to learn? He has seen the healing power of God, but yet he chooses death. He has seen the generosity of the Lord, but yet he chooses his own selfishness. He is stumbling as we all stumble, but in his arrogance, he is stumbling away from the Lord. In his idea that he has arrived, that he is much better than this pagan who has come to seek healing from the Lord. He is stumbling away from faith. And eventually in in verse 27, it says that, that Naaman's leprosy falls onto him. The disease is now his disease. Naaman stumbles towards God and towards faith. Gehazi stumbles away from God and away from his faith. I have seen so many people in the church take the way of Gehazi. So many people that, that, have, that have petitioned the Lord with prayer and God comes through and, they, and the prayer is answered or the thing is answered or the, tra- the tragedy is over or the trauma is over and whatever, for whatever reason, arrogance builds in their heart and they just begin to stumble away from the Lord, stumble away. And I've seen it take place over and over again. And it's, it's sad. It's sad. And so the question for us this morning is, If we're all stumbling, what direction are you stumbling in? When you ask yourself about Christ, when you ask yourself about the resurrection, what do you you think about it? Do you even think about it? 
Do you just think about it when you come here on Sunday mornings? Do you come here to, on Sunday mornings to kind of make restitution for all of the junk that you'd pulled off during the rest of the week, hoping that God will accept your indulgence, accept your payment? Do you take this journey of faith serious? Or are you just kind of flipping about it and you go to church because, well, that's just what we do. Not really much else to do on a Sunday morning. If that's your heart, then you have the heart of Gehazi and you are stumbling away from God. Stumbling away from faith. But if you, when you think about the cross, when you think about Christ and the resurrection, do you have a sense that through him, God has revealed himself to be your God? And this God is inviting you and he's calling you to be yourself through him, your true self, to put away all that false self stuff that we all kind of box around ourselves. We put the mask on, but, but God says, no, I want you to be who I made you to be. And you realize that that's only going to happen by his grace, by his mercy, by your being honest and truthful with your own life. And stumbling toward faith, towards delight, allowing God to heal and to call and to prune and to burn away those things that, that he wants gone in the first place. Have you come to a place where your stumblings, they, they feel weighty and you can see the darkness. But in your heart, you want nothing more than God's forgiveness. Because you don't like that place. You don't like that thing. You want him to fix you and to heal you. That's the heart of Naaman. That's the heart that is stumbling toward your faith. Into deeper waters of grace and mercy and the love of a living God. If, if that's you, if that's your desire that God would fix this, this broken mess and you know that he's the only one that's going to. And sometimes you compromise and sometimes you fall flat on your face. And sometimes you just go, I cannot believe I did that again. Lord, forgive me. I don't want it. If that's you, and hear the words of the Lord this morning. Go in peace. Go in peace. Father, I praise you for those three little words. I pray that you would make them real to us. I pray for those who are stumbling right now, God, that you would reveal to them those compromises and those stumblings and that they would come to you knowing that you are a forgiving God, a loving God, a God of mercy and grace, and they could repent and be made whole and be healed. And Father, I pray for those who may, may have been a little shocked this morning. They fall into the Gehazi camp. Father, I know that your mercy and grace desires to flood their life. And so do so, Father. Thank you for Jesus and the love that you have for us. We praise you. We love you. We're so grateful to you. We stand before you as your church your people, in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. 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 I love you guys. I will see you next week.